and welcome back to Rupture Radio, a weekly look at news, politics and culture from a socialist perspective. Uh, this week, we are finally living up to the promise to provide a, a socialist perspective on culture. And we're talking about the, the best, is it the worst um, movie of the, of the last few months, um, Don't Look Up. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. The, uh, the critics are divided, and I think we have a bit of a, a debate on our panel today as well. So uh, we are joined this week by Meg Morrigan, who has written a review of the film uh, um, uh, for Reform and Revolution, a caucus within the, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. And we're also joined by Kieran Emrish, a member of the SWN network uh, within People for Profit and a PPP member in, in Galway. So do you want to say, say hello there to, to our beautiful listeners? Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, um, just as, as a warning uh, to listeners, there, there will be spoilers, but I think at this stage, there's been such talk about it. If you haven't um, seen the film already, you probably already have seen spoilers. Uh, um, and I don't know, I've never really cared about spoilers. Have either of you, are either of you like really protective about spoilers or hate seeing spoilers? If I know I'm about to see a movie, I'll try to avoid spoilers. If I if it's been out for a long time and I don't know when I'm going to see it, I don't worry about it at all because I know I'm just going to forget about it by the time I get around to it. I think it really depends on the film. Like, there's some films where you know you really want to go in not knowing anything, and other films like <laughs> my 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 partner, um, I think is the like l- l- only human in the past forty years who managed to see Star Wars. Uh, without knowing like the Luke I am your father line like you know what I mean <laughs> uh, and I was wow. like they had no idea this was coming you know and what's worse is they hate the film <laughs> they, they, <laughs> I was like I was like when they found out that they hadn't seen it I was like oh man you have to see this this is going to be phenomenal you know but no they didn't like it anyway so uh, that's not what we're here to discuss we're here to discuss Don't Look Up which I don't know it's, it's, it's I think it's the most watched film on Netflix or it's streamed more in the first week it was streamed more hours than anything else in its first week. On the one hand, that's one part of it. On the other side, it seems to be very critically reviewed by most of the mainstream media seems to be saying that it's a terrible film. Um, so there seems to be a divide over it. But, but maybe, Meg, could you kick us off in terms of like, what's the main, what's the main plot lines of the film? What's it actually about? What's this, all this talk about? Yeah, for sure. So Don't Look Up follows two astronomers played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence who discover a comet that's headed directly for Earth and is going to make impact in six months. Their attempts to basically get the world uh, to respond appropriately (laughs) to that threat. They go to the US government, they go to the media, um, and eventually they even try to uh, put on like an independent campaign to get the EU to launch a... uh, I think it's the UN. I think I think there was the or UN. The, the UN. Anyways, the international, very short-lived international strategy. Um, but they fail, and uh, at the end of the movie, the comet hits, and everything is destroyed except for two thousand CEOs and lobbyists who make it <laughs> onto an escape uh, shuttle and colonize a new world. Yeah, twenty thousand years later, and I think. For me, one of the interesting parts of it is that it also, it talks about the, the, the problem is that a bunch, this big company, this bash um, company, which is meant to be like your Amazon, Jeff Bezos type billionaires of the world, um, they say, oh, instead of 
stopping the comet from landing, we should try to let it land, let it crash into us um, so that we can mine it for minerals um, and get all our money out of it. So and like it's that it's that profit motive of big business that sort of leads to this climate disaster. Uh, not climate disaster, but this uh, uh, world-ending disaster, existential disaster, yeah. And it's kind of meant to be as a, an analogy for climate change, right? I would say definitely climate change is like the biggest, most obvious analogy, but it's really for any kind of existential threat that faces humanity. Like, I think you could make an argument that it works just as well as an analogy for COVID or, I don't know, a bunch of other things. But yeah. It was done pre-COVID, though, wasn't it? Or the script was written pre-COVID, I think. I think the script was pre-COVID, but it was actually filmed during the pandemic. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of the filming was delayed because of the pandemic. Because at times, I, I thought it had a real resonance over COVID. You like, let's follow the science kind of stuff. But then I realized, I heard that it was actually pre-COVID, and I thought that was... But anyway, so Kieran, then, you, I understand, are uh, in the not-a-good-film category. Um, so what's your... What do you make of it all? There's, there's two elements, like, uh, I suppose you have to kind of separate them in a way, is that, like, you look at the kind of, uh, there's a quality of a film, um, and then separately you look at the political message of it, like, and I think, in terms of the quality of the film, like, it does try to fit too much in, like, there's so much going on, there's so much, like, there's so many different characters, um, you know, between, the, between the, obviously, the scientists, the government, the media, the corporations and everything. There's just so many characters. There's so much going on. It's hard to like get a sense of any of them any, in any way because this, they get, each character gets so little time. And then, because, then there's also, kind of, also the kind of the frequent kind of jumps to kind of shots of nature or shots of just kind of general shots of human humanity. Um, and obviously that's trying to, try to bring in the kind of sense of, you know, what's going to be destroyed by this. But at the same time, it kind of, it kind of brings you out of the out of the plot and out of the film in a way because it's then like these cuts to nature and whatever. So I think it's kind of difficult. It can make, make it kind of difficult to follow, and it doesn't quite kind of flow in that way. That's the kind of you know I think the issues with the film as as a film, and I think that's that's kind of what the kind of mainstream critics are kind of focused on, and they've kind of kind of in many ways the mainstream critics have kind of ignored the kind of political message of the film, and I think that's why a lot of people on on the left have kind of critical of the critics for ignoring the actual political message and the importance of the political message of the film. Mm-hmm. Let's come back to the politics for a moment and focus on the, as a, is it any good as an actual film? Like, is it one of these things, is it a comedy that I didn't laugh at, but I agreed the hell out of it, you know what I mean? Or is it actually a good film as a film, you know? I find even like the exact uh, examples that you use as things that you like, made it challenging for you to enjoy as a movie here and i think i think that's interesting because uh i'm about to get a little bit nerdy here but when i was watching i've watched the movie now a a couple times and something that has struck me is uh i really feel like adam mckay is using some techniques from bertolt brecht and epic theater so Really, really quick rundown. Bertolt Brecht was a Marxist theater practitioner in the first half of the 20th century whose entire theater theory and practice was all about creating an aesthetic of dialectical materialism. And uh, some of the techniques that he developed to create this aesthetic, um, one of the biggest ones, like the sort of general concept is called the alienation effect. And there are different things that might go into creating the alienation effect. But basically, the 
aim is to make the audience feel distanced uh, instead of completely involved in what they're seeing to create a dialectical mindset. It's kind of like that you're not meant to, you're not meant to relate to the characters. You're not meant to like find them real people. Yeah. You're meant to know this is theater. What you're watching now is a show. So all of the characters represent archetypes instead of being like psychologically real characters. They, they just represent these archetypes. You're not supposed to emotionally identify with the characters. You're supposed to identify what forces in society they represent. And like, you're not supposed to get caught up in the movie. You're not supposed to be... You're not meant to see yourself. You're not meant to say, oh, that's me. Um, suspend your disbelief. That's, <laughs> that's the oh, word. Yeah. You're, not, you're not supposed to suspend your disbelief in the movie you're supposed to be remembering all of the time that you're watching a movie and so like the things like the montages that that's actually the whole idea of a montage comes from soviet film and a, a filmic version of the alienation effect where you are supposed to be reminded that that you're watching this film also um like there's not a whole lot of instances of breaking the fourth wall but there is one near the beginning when we first get introduced to Teddy Oglethorpe, uh, and the logo the, thing. The uh, yeah, it's like um, you know he's the the director of the Planetary Defense Committee, and Jennifer Lawrence's character is like, is that real? And it pauses, and it's like, yes, the Planetary Defense Organization is real. This is their logo. Like things like that, I think, are these filmic expressions of Brechtian <laughs> theories that is all like, you know, I can, I can see how it might be not uh, easy to, to digest, but I think that that's the point. It's supposed to make you critical and think critically about what's going on. And we can get into the political implications of that now or later. I, I think like, like, I mean, he, you know, he used, like Adam McKay used a very similar style in his, in his earlier film, The Big Short. And I think- yes. It, it was done more effectively in the Big Short, I think. I think I think the Big Short was maybe more entertaining as a film, and it, I think that the style was just done more effectively in a way at that time. Like, I, I certainly found that Big Short to be a better film, I think. But again, it, it was you know that like there was the kind of you know it's putting across the issue and it's putting across the problem, and it's a similar problem to Don't Look Up in that it uh, it doesn't give any kind of sense of like well how can we actually deal with this or how can we actually like get past the problem of these rich and powerful who are controlling society and actually like leading us into ruin like how do we actually get past them or how do we actually like challenge them like i kind of relate to jennifer lawrence but i feel like it's because of what her care her character represents the like millennial generation i think where we all like see right through <laughs> the absolute bullshit and insanity of the government ignoring the scientists and deciding to sit tight and assess, you know, see through the media dancing around the issue and refusing to take it seriously and like having this righteous anger and no like good place to put it. Like I, I identify with that on like a generational level, but I think they also go through great lengths to make Kate Dibiaski a less like empathetic character by like really focusing on her like turning into a meme right like we see a like two minute long montage of 
of her as a meme and all of these things, you know, and it's brought up over and over again, like, oh, your face is on my skateboard or whatever. Like, like, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think that that recognition is just because we're that group that her character is supposed to represent. <laughs> yeah. Are there other examples that you can think of where they try to make it less? They challenge that notion or they go against that mainstream notion of cinema of like personable characters that you try to identify with? Um, Like I think in terms of like the Leonardo DiCaprio character of um, Dr. Bindi, like he's kind of, you know, he tries to be the kind of like level-headed scientist guy just, you know, relying on the science and he just wants, you know, he's he's trying to be the quiet, calm person. Obviously, you know, he's got his own issues, but then, like, he does kind of break through that, though, in that kind of scene, that really kind of, like, that scene where he's in the TV studio, and he just, like, he just loses control because he gets, you know, the frustration is built up so much. Don't cut away. Let me say something. Well, you came to the right place because on this show, we like to say things. Would you please just stop being so fucking pleasant? I'm sorry, but not everything needs to sound so goddamn clever or charming or likable all the time. Sometimes we need to just be able to say things to one another. We need to hear things. Look, let's establish once again that there is a huge comet headed towards Earth. And the reason we know that there is a comet is because we saw it. We saw it with our own eyes, using a telescope. I mean, for God's sake, we took a fucking picture of it. What other proof do we need? But it's like, that scene just becomes, it's like, it's too heavy-handed. Like, it becomes like, it's, it's, it's like, he's actually, he's not just shouting at the other characters in the film, he's actually shouting at the audience. And particularly the way the kind of camera focuses in quite closely on his face as he's shouting. Um, and it's, it's like, he's, you know, is if the whole, I mean, the whole film is a kind of political message, but then this this scene is actually like actually ramming it into the audience, like. And it's not it's not meant to be, it's not you're not meant to feel comfortable watching the film. No, no. I heard loads of people complaining that like, oh, it's so it's it's awkward to watch. I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But I think that's the point. All the jumping, like even the thing that strikes me is that in some scenes they're very realistic, like the level of surreal. Is, is low they're just like played fairly straight and then in the very next scene like the, the the laws of the world are just like totally upended I don't know th- things are just done in a surreal way so it's almost tough to get your bearings as to how real to life how believable is this meant to be or how like how much of a a comedy skit is it you know yeah I mean I definitely agree like I, I don't know I think it's kind of funny like there's a lot of things that you're saying Kieran that like I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying. I guess I just disagree in whether, like, I, <laughs> I think that makes it a good film or a bad film. Like, yeah, maybe it, it can be hard to watch and it's challenging and it's not the kind of film that audiences are used to watching because we're used to, like, having this personal connection to characters. But I I guess I would argue <laughs> that, like, that is maybe the point. And, like, we're not supposed to feel comfortable. and um if it's okay to maybe start dipping our toes into the political sides of things here, like Kieran, you mentioned that like, or maybe you haven't mentioned, maybe it was in our conversation previously, but like a lot of the left criticism of the film is that it doesn't present any sort of working class solution. It, um, at, at the sort of best, it 
makes very light of mass politics in general, like with either things just devolving into mindless looting, like when uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character tells everybody at the bar the reality that they're going to let the comet hit to, to mine it or whatever, and it just turns into a riot, to like international populist just look up movement that really like never goes anywhere. And then we see in a montage, Teddy Oglethorpe, the director of the Planetary Defense Committee, leading some sort of protest or sit-in. And like, that's about it. There's really no viable credence given to any sort of working class solution. And that's something that a lot of left critics have like called out and been like, this was an opportunity. Um, But I guess that was an opportunity. But um, I think, first of all, the, to me, it seems like the goal, Adam McKay's goal is not to give us an answer. He's not here to prescribe um, a like method for revolution. And I think I think possibly if he had, he, we there would have been even more left criticism from people being like, oh, it's whatever method that he chose. You know, there would have been people being like, that's an unrealistic, you know, method or or whatever. So I think I think it, personally, I think it's more effective to create a movie, a film that's all about like forcing you to watch this utter systematic failure and recognize the ways that those failures reflect the failures of our actual society and see in the film just see things fall apart and like it's really up to the audience then to be like what could have been done differently so it, it really provokes critical thought in that sense to be like, you know, what, yeah, like that's that's how I see things going in real life. What could have they done differently? What didn't happen in the movie that maybe we could do that in real life? Because, um, you know, right now, like there's not a very good, like viable working class solution to to not not in practice to any of our existential threats there's those of us who are like trying desperately to organize that but we're still definitely (laughs) in a minority uh and a bit on the back foot so i think uh, to me it's a much stronger position not to come out prescriptively but to come out with something that really forces people to engage with this situation and 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 really examine what could have been done differently and start that conversation. Well I, I think like one of the issues there is that like we don't even we don't even have any kind of working just regular working class characters in it. Like apart from, you know, obviously the scientists like um Dr. Biggie and his family, obviously, but we don't like as you know, as Meg mentioned like the only time we see the working class really is, you know, when they're rioting or when they're at these rallies for either don't look up or just look up. But we don't actually see, like, we don't actually get any sense of, like, how their working class are actually feeling about this whole situation or about how, they, how they're dealing with it themselves. Like, um, and it's like, there's, there's one, like, one small moment where we kind of get a sense of idea of how they could possibly be dealing with it. It's, it's when um, Jennifer Lawrence's character, Kate Gibbyaski, tells her boyfriend that this is going to happen. And he's, his reaction is like, oh my God, he's like, he doesn't know how he, he doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And he almost walks into a car, into a road. Like, and that's, all, that's, the only kind of, that's the only kind of time we really get a sense of like, 
how are the actual how actual regular ordinary working class people would actually be feeling about this um but yeah it's like we don't get any of those kind of characters there are you know the characters are all kind of like the scientists media politicians and rich and powerful (laughs) in fact i think the only time that like the working class are really even mentioned as an entity is by jonah hill's character uh in in the in one of the like don't look up campaigns um and he's like i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna mess up the quote but you know he's something he says something to the effect of like you know we're in this together there's you guys, the working class, and then there's us, the cool rich, and then there's them. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I don't know. <laughs> and obviously that kind, of, that kind of is a reference to Trump's appeal to working class support. Um, you know, the appeal to working class support to take on the, you know, to drain the swamp and to drain, you know, to take on the political establishment. Um, it's obviously it's kind of reference to that, and it's interesting that like you know the the, the character of the president, um, Orly, President Orlean, is kind of this kind of combination of Trump and Hillary Clinton, and that kind of embodies bits of both of them. And it's actually it's interesting as well that in a lot of the kind of commentary about the film, there's often mention of the references to Trump, but there's very little reference to the references to the or very little mention of references to Hillary Clinton. Um, and that also there was a fo- there was a photo. I didn't I didn't spot this. I only saw it in a review. But at one stage they spat they pan and they show a photo of Orlean with Bill Clinton. Yeah, apparently, yeah. yeah but also that the guy beside her in the early scenes in the white in the in the Oval Office is clearly Joe Biden. Yeah, he's yeah. I thought I thought Biden, the same. Right? But then he also kind of looks like that other guy. So um, Mike Pence. Do they not? Do they not all oh look kind of interchangeable? Just old white dudes. Yeah. <laughs> They all look the same to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the film definitely goes through lengths to, to I, I think, to definitely, you know, not just be like, oh, this is a Republican problem or whatever, but to say, like, both parties are to blame. Because uh, there's even a moment where the, like, opposition candidate says something about, like, you know, it's more important to to pursue the like make a full investigation into the supreme court nominee than to pay attention to the um the comment news so like you know they go through links to be like this is a problem on both sides of the aisle and even further like this is a problem with like the american government in general outside of the like political party system i understand what you're saying kieran about oh characters and representation and maybe I, I, the, the conceptual problem that I have with it, though, is I think it's fair enough to have a film that poses the problem. That, like, I've seen some reviews that say, oh, this film proposes that we're all going to die, so the best we can do is sit around and just have dinner and with our family. Um, and as if that's what the film is advocating. I don't, I don't think that's what the film is advocating whatsoever. Like, that doesn't... That approach of sitting around and, with our family and uh, praying, it doesn't work either, like, you know? Or... I've seen others like saying, oh, well, the film proposes like having a liberal campaign in the media and appealing to the UN to solve it. And like that doesn't work. Like it's like these people writing these critiques have missed the fact that none of the strategies that they adopt don't work. And I I think it's okay to show, to demonstrate these are all the strategies that wouldn't work like, you know, 
Um, yeah, and these are all the strategies that people generally in society have been advocating for. So, like, I think it's important, like, that they sort of go through these systematically and be like, no, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And in the end, they leave this, like, so what would work? This big gaping hole in in this entire situation is, like, genuine working class organization, you know, with the with democratic leadership. like. To me, that's like that's like the big gaping hole in that world and in the world that we have. <laughs> yeah, just on kind of so on the on the UN solution actually. Um, just I only picked this up on the second time I watched it when I I've kind of watched it again just to kind of refresh it before I do the podcast. And it's like, was there an implication there that the US sabotaged the other ones? Um, it's not. It, it, it doesn't really explore that or anything. But it's the there's the kind of Possible kind of implication there that the U.S. actually sabotaged it, the Russian launch. Yeah, I do, I do think there's a small implication there. Yeah, definitely also, they don't really go into it though. Yeah, they don't. I also did think that that whole plot point was very poorly introduced. Like, why is the first time we're hearing about the rest of the world? It's just sort of like randomly dropped in there midway through. I think we. I thought that we should have heard about it earlier on. And then have it fail later on, but it was just all at the one go. Um, that they, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah I probably agree that there might have been a more, yeah, a better way to include it earlier on and make the whole plot seem a little like that together. point seem a little bit more, yeah, knitted together. Yeah, but what do you think on that, like, Kieran, of that point of like the point of this film? Maybe Hollywood, maybe the next thing Adam McKay should do is write a film called The Revolution and like show us, imagine what a socialist revolution would look like. Demonstrate working class people getting organized and then rising up. I'd love to watch that. I'm, I'm not sure if it would... I mean, I'm sure, sure we would records. all love to watch that kind of film, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Adam McKay has those politics. I'm not sure if Adam McKay sees that kind of solution. I mean, this, this, this film is kind of typical of kind of like Hollywood films and that they don't see the... You know, they, they might see the they might see the problem and the problem that needs to be dealt with, but they don't necessarily see the solutions, or they don't see the possible. They don't see socialism as being a way forward to actually deal with the. Well, Adam McKay describes himself as a democratic socialist, and your the other story writer on it was like a is a Jacobin editor, yeah, yeah, and he he was like a Bernie Sanders speechwriter. So like they are quite political, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um. Obviously, like. There's a world of difference between that and that's not necessarily the same as like workers' revolutionary approach. Yeah, I, the only thing that like, like I would also love to see that movie, but would that movie get made? Would that movie get made with a however million dollar budget that Don't Look Up had? Would that movie get produced by Netflix? Would it be the number one movie on Netflix for two weeks? Like, I my my instinct is that that movie would probably never get made. I mean, like that, I want to make those kinds of movies. Like I'm a screenwriter myself and like, <laughs> I, I would love to make a movie like that. I write movies like that, but you know, they, they just, they stay on the page. I don't know. <laughs> like um, these kinds of movies do give me hope that maybe there's growing hunger for just like specifically and distinctly political and revolutionary messages. Um, but there's a really big barrier in the way of like what actually gets made and what actually gets seen. Or even just what, what captures, what captures the zeitgeist. I do think 
I understand what the critics that you're saying. Sorry, this is like a two against one, Karen. But like, um, like, but I, I do want to. It captures a zeitgeist, which means that people who are just despondent can watch this and relate to it. People, somebody can watch this and just go, "See, I told you so." There's no point in even trying. We're all going to fail anyway. I, you, but I don't. You could watch it and and say that, um, but I don't think that that's necessarily what their goal is. I think. Maybe it's being overly sympathetic, but I do think their goal is to try to say this is how not to do it. Like your review, Meg, and it was titled like how not to um How not well, to save the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's what they try to to do, you know? I suppose that in a way that it's it's um, you know, how how like obviously we you know, we're all so we're we're revolutionary socialists, and we believe in that being you know the way forward for the world and how to you know stop climate change. But it's like how if you are going into this film as someone who's not politically active or not politically in tune, like how do you what do you take out of the film if there's no kind of political, there's no kind of solutions or anything kind of suggestions of a solution or a, or of a you know actual solution that's actually going to work coming out of that film what do you take out of the film if you're not actually already politically involved or uh, aware um, and I think what? different people take different things from it um, and I think that's probably the nature of like any piece of art like if you want something that people can only read one way uh, and, and directly communicates just your message that you want to get across that's probably more like propaganda rather than art, like, you know what I mean? Uh, um, uh, uh, whereas, like, art is probably something that, like, it works because people can read it different ways and some people read it this way and some people read it that way, you know? I don't know. Yeah. And, like, I mean, to come back to my theatre nerdiness, like, this is, this is Brecht's point in Hope. Like, Brecht's whole idea behind, like, Brecht wanted theatre and, and his plays to be forums for political discussions but not in the sense of offering nice, neat answers and giving people a nice, good feeling of victory and patting themselves on the back and like leaving the theater and walking away. He wanted people to be disturbed and to have to walk away and be like, what just happened? What did I see? And and think critically about it. And like, I guess the danger with that is that people have different abilities to think critically and and different backgrounds and uh things that they find important and so you know not everybody is necessarily going to come to the exact same conclusion uh from you know going on a critical thought process but i think that that's more of the point and the aim of the film than to just give a nice neat packaged little answer all right, brilliant. Uh, um, there's a whole separate debate on whether it is a comedy or not, apparently, but um, that that's beyond my pay grade. Um, okay, so we leave it there. Thanks a million uh, to Kieran and Meg for joining us. We'll put a link to Meg's review uh, um, in the description as well. Um, and thanks again to the, our supporters on Patreon um, who uh, like make this podcast possible. And if you haven't already subscribed uh, um, for as little as two fifty a month, it can just uh, help support us and you can have a vote in in various different decisions that we have to make in terms of who who we have on, what topics we cover, what interviews we do next. Um, we have a, a good lineup of pl- things planned for for twenty twenty two. Um, so f- keep an eye ear out, and we'll be back next week. Uh, and thanks, William. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
Spill my cup. You 